You remember the first time you ever prayed for protection? Chances are you've done it at some point. The first time that really sticks to my mind was back in around 97. Uh, some of you remember in 19, I think it was 1997, we had a hurricane come through here, uh, Fran. And I lived at that time, the corner of Falls News and Litchford, where there's a nice veterinarian's office there now. I'm sure he wasn't there at that time. Uh, there was all woods back behind me, and it was in the middle of the night. And I, my bedroom was right next to this huge window uh, in our room where there was nothing but pine trees behind me. And I could hear through the night, those of you who were in that area, uh, pine tree after pine tree falling in the woods where Coles is now was woods. Um, and I could just hear that all night. There's nothing like trying to go to sleep to hearing pine trees fall around you. And I was trying to think of verses like uh, things in Proverbs that, that those who trust the Lord, their sleep will be sweet. And I'm thinking, Lord, can you make this promise true? Because I'm not sleeping. Um, and it was just going on, and fear was, was rising in my heart and mind. And until I heard this tree fall, and it, it just was a huge boom. And in that instant I heard this boom, I jumped out of the bed and, and laid on the floor right next to the bed, trying to seek the shelter of the bed. And all I could see looking out the window was nothing but tree limbs. Uh, a pine tree had fallen, uh, and glanced off another tree, and landed right uh, on the roof right above where my bedroom was. And I thought to myself, well, if that didn't kill me, I guess I'm good. Um, and I slept sweetly after that. I was just like, well, you know, I didn't die then, so I'm, I guess I'm okay. But I remember just thinking about the, the promises of protection. How, what can I actually hold on to? There's a lot of things I wanted, but what could I actually claim as true that the God says, I will protect you? Because the, the reality was, the next morning, there were people that died from that hurricane. Uh, and, and how come I didn't die and others did? Did God's promise of protection not hold out to them? Uh, and so you need to be thinking about this uh, because it won't be the last time you prayed for protection in your life. Uh, and so with that thought, I, I want us to look in the book of Acts as we've been studying this book. Uh, we're getting really close to the end. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 23. And uh, what I'd like to do, uh, we've got chapter 23 through 28, uh, and look at these passages in bulk. Um, a lot of chapter 23 through chapter 28 is somewhat of a repeat of a similar theme uh, throughout. And so what I want to look at this morning is in these last five chapters, considering God's protection of discipleship communities, specifically the Apostle Paul. Uh, and then we're going to look at uh, some of the witnessing opportunities uh, in the last five chapters, and just look at this as, as a bulk, and, and see what does God say about this? How do we see God's protection work out in the life of a man named Paul, as we have seen uh, in Acts chapter 2, this beginning of his church that started with a few hundred, now has gone from Jerusalem, really around the world in a lot of different ways, a lot of the known world, uh, and Apostle Paul was one of the main reasons why God working through this man as well as many others. Uh, and so we're going to see how his church is reproduced. 
But in this, it's being threatened all along the way. There's been opposition, powers that have always been against the church, and it certainly was from the beginning. How does this work in Paul's life? How do we see God's protection in Paul's life at the end? And so uh, we're not going to read chapters 23 through 28, uh, but there will be selective uh, passages there. But I think to get the, the gist of it, uh, let's do read together chapter 23 um, and read through verse 22 uh, just to kind of get a, a sample of how this works. So let's stand as we read, to, read this together. I'm actually going to begin with verse 30 of chapter 22. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. Looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mount. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? And those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension rose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And then a great clamor rose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? When the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And when it was day, the Jews, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And there was more than 40 who made this conspiracy. And they went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you are going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of the ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Now Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand, going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire something more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. You may be seated. So you kind of get the gist of the seriousness of the opposition of Paul's life. Um, just as a nutshell, for those of you who haven't been with us, Paul has headed back to Jerusalem, compelled in his own spirit to go there, bearing a gift. But all along the way, there's been warnings by the Holy Spirit through others that if you go to Jerusalem 
bad things await. Jerusalem is there. He goes there. And sure enough, while worshiping in the temple, the the Jews uh, that are around him arrest him, actually beat him, thinking that he's there to defile the temple and defile the law. So they uh, are beating him up in in a merciless way. The commotion is heard. The Roman leader over Jerusalem at the time closes the door of the city, closes the temple of the gate, and uh, brings uh, Paul into custody to protect him against the mob. And there, after this, this, this beaten, bloodied man says, Can I speak once more? He's given permission, speaks to the Jews uh, in the Hebrew tongue. They're quiet until he talks about God going to the Gentiles, and then uproar comes again. And so now the leader has taken away into custody where he can be removed until this council comes before him that we've just read about uh, and you have this encounter. So in a nutshell, uh, the man Felix is kind of like the mayor, the Roman mayor of Jerusalem. Uh, He hears what's going on and hears Paul's case. says, you know, there's really not much here, uh, but he's kind of hoping for a bribe. And so he keeps them there for about two years in jail in Caesarea uh, and listening to Paul until his time runs out. Uh, then Felix, or uh, Festus, comes in, uh, and Festus is hearing the case and also hears the testimony of Paul and wants to make good with the Jews. And so it's kind of an ob- uh, obvious thought of maybe I'll send him back to Jerusalem. But Paul knows if he goes back to Jerusalem, this ambush is there. All right, we read about it, and they're going to try to kill him. Uh, and so Paul says, no, I don't want that. I appeal to Caesar. And so there, while waiting to go back to Caesar, Festus has this guy, King Agrippa, come in, king of the Jews, knows more about the Jews. He comes in, and he shares the gospel one more time with King Agrippa and uh, his companion, uh, along with Festus. And so that's kind of Acts 23 through 28. That's the Cliff Notes version, okay? Uh, so you can read that on your own, and you can, and you can get that. But that's the kind of the, 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 the events that happen. But all along the way, we need to think about how does Paul deal with this opposition? How would you feel if 40 people said, you know what? We hate your message so much that we will not eat or drink until we kill you. Well, why? Well, you defy the law. Isn't thou shalt not kill also part of that? Uh, this is just what religion takes you down. You have to be careful about religion if it's separated from the grace and relationship of Jesus Christ. You see an example of this, how religion gets twisted and distorted to the point where they're killing someone so that it protects their law. We are not ruled by a law. We're ruled by a relationship of Jesus Christ. And there is a measurable difference between those two. So nonetheless, here's Paul. And here's the first thing as we read this and we observe what happens and and the messages that are given to Paul. uh, Because all along the way, I didn't even tell you about the fact that Paul was involved in a shipwreck going from uh, Caesarea to Rome. All right. So let's look a little bit. How does God protect Paul? Why does God protect Paul? And what lessons can we apply to this? And so as we read this, first I want to take you to Matthew 28, verse 18 and 20, because this is the Great Commission. It is the directive under which Paul is operating. All right? Matthew 28, verse 18 and 20 says simply this, uh, that all authority has been given to me. Jesus is saying that. All authority has been given to 
me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And whatsoever things I've commanded you, teach them to obey also. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right, so that's, that's the commission. But you see the, the promise therein, right? All authority is with Jesus. He's commissioning you, and he is with you. And so you have at your disposal all authority in the universe to make good what he's commanded us to do. And so we see that in action in Paul's life. But you need to understand something here, that God is empowering his dream. His dream. What is his dream? Well, Matthew 28 is that all peoples, that all language groups will know Jesus Christ intimately, that they will be entered into his family. You see this all the way back in the, in the beginning when God created the world. In Genesis chapter 1, I think it's verse 27, he talks and describes about mankind, how he made him in his image. And then he says to mankind, made in the image of God, go and fill the earth and subdue this earth. Fill it with what? Fill it with God's image, right? We were made in his image, but then something happens in in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis 3 that mars the image of people, and it's sin. It's sin. And so now we are flawed reflections of the image of God, but in Genesis 3, 15, God says, I'm going to give you a deliverer, someone who will come from woman, a seed who will be impacted, wounded by the serpent, uh, but will crush the head of the serpent. In other words, will, though wounded, will give a mortal blow to the evil and sin. This is referring to Jesus Christ. And so from Genesis all the way to the Gospels is the story of God's word coming true. What is he doing? He's redeeming us, renewing us, remaking us into his image. And so now that there is opportunity to be redeemed through Jesus Christ, he says in Matthew 28, once again, go into all the earth, fill it with his image. That's his dream. That is God's dream for this world. Why is that his dream? Because the best thing, the world at its best, and and for our greatest good, is that we have a relationship with God and that we see Christ, the most beautiful, the best one, everywhere around. You ever seen his beauty anywhere? You tasted his glory in food, or you seen it in flowers, you smelled it in the roses? This is God's glory. Listen, all these things compel in comparison to the human soul that is under the authority of Jesus Christ and Christ shining through them. You can see the landscapes of majestic rocky mountains, but it pales in comparison to the beauty of one human soul that is redeemed by Jesus Christ. That's his dream. To fill this earth with his image. God is personally invested in that. All right? So what does that mean? Well, God's going to empower his dream through his people. Now notice something in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 22 through 24. Paul has gotten hold of that. It has rocked his world. And so in Acts chapter 20, he makes a statement. He realizes that his own life is about to be forfeit. And he's okay with that. He's okay with that. He says in verse 22, Acts 20, Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that 
Imprisonment and afflictions wait me, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You see, what Paul is saying is that God's dream is now my dream. A lot of us want this appeal for protection. I certainly wanted it in 1997 when Fran was coming through. Like, God, protect me. And God may do so out of his goodness and grace. But listen, if I want to appeal to say, God, you're on the, on the hook for this. I can't say that except for that God has extended himself to protect the image of Jesus Christ. So here's what I'm saying. When I want to hold on to a promise for God's protection... The promise that he gives me is, I will protect my dream. I will protect that this world will come to know Jesus Christ and the beauty of him. And if you're about that dream, I will protect that dream. But if I want to say, God, will you protect my sense of comfort? Will you protect my physical health? God may do so out of his goodness and kindness, but don't hold on to Matthew 28. And says, I'm with you always even to the end of the earth to ensure that you're going to come out of that surgery okay. I'm correcting something that is very prevalent in our mindset. Because we hear a lot of, God is for me, right? Yes, God is for you. He is for you and that he wants the best that can be known. And that is God's glory to be known in your life. He is for you and that he is working toward that end. But if you mean that God is for us and that no bad things happen to me, then you are living a, a hallucination. And we need to be thinking about this because the fact of the matter is I've survived 1997 the friend and some people didn't. Is that God's fault? To say, well, God, didn't you say you were going to protect everybody? Matthew 28 applies to his dream. Paul says, look, the thing that matters most to me is I make his gospel known. For to me is to live is Christ, to die is gain. The thought is, is that God is making us and remaking us so that our purpose becomes his purpose. Our purpose is is his purpose our greatest desire is his desire and god is going to work through our life partly to shatter our other desires to understand that there's only one desire that matters and that's his desire i pray that god can sink that into your heart and soul he'll do it if you let him and it's gonna be much louder than me just talking to you right now to see the shattering of our desires so that we can see the one dream that matters. God, despite the silencers, despite those that were in Paul's life saying, we've got to stop this, we've got to keep this quiet, we've got to have 40 people, we're going to try to kill him. God is going to work and protect him, and we see how that happens. So, a second observation about this is that despite sinister power, despite sinister power, God will encourage his dream workers. All right, despite sinister powers, in other words, there's going to be great forces at bear to silence you, to keep you quiet. God's going to encourage you right when he needs it the most. I think about Jesus Christ when he was uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was the point of decision for him. 
whether he's going to say, okay, God, <laughs> I'm going to follow your will, or no, I don't want all that sin in my body and the consequences of it. But I read about it in Luke chapter 22. It's interesting. It talks about how three times he's praying, okay, Lord, not my will, your will be done. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to let your dream be my dream, even if it comes from me taking sin upon me. Your dream matters. I submit to your love, Father. And as he does so, in Luke chapter 22, it talks about when he surrenders, the angels came and ministered to him. Angels came and ministered to him. Notice what happens here in, in Paul's own life. Uh, and what we read even, you see this in chapter 23, verse 11. Did you catch this? This opposition is coming. There, there's, there's people around here trying to, and they have power now over his life. This tribune and the council there. And then verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as, as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. What is this? This is God encouraging his people. There's a, a verse in Philippians 4.19, which Paul writes from prison. He writes from prison, and he says, I, I know how to bound, and I know how, how to live with less. Because I've learned the secret of contentment. He talks about how I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, and then 419. He says, but my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that mean? The needs. The needs required to make God's dream known. All right. To make God's dream known. I've thought about that verse frequently and, and sometimes when I don't have as much as I think I ought to have. Okay, God, you said you'd supply all my needs. If I don't have it, then it means I didn't need it. All right? If I don't have it, it means I didn't need it. But what if what you need is encouragement? You see, Paul knew Matthew 28, 19, 20. He knew the promises of that. But for some reason, God spoke to him through an angel at this point. It's interesting. We'll see this a few other times. Notice in chapter 27. Or actually, yeah, let's look at 27, verse 23 and 25. Paul is in a ship trying to sail for Rome. Verse 10, he says, Sir, I perceive the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ships, but also our lives. Paul is getting on the ship, realizing this is going to end very bad. The storm happens. You see this in verse 13, describing the storm. It goes on for days. And notice verse 20, Neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. No small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. And it's at this point, Paul steps up and basically says, guys, I told you. <laughs> Men, you should have listened to me, and now I've set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Say, take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Isn't it interesting? When he needed the most, God 
came in and intervened and encouraged him even before the storm came. You, you see this in chapter 28. You, you see this in verse 3 through 6. They, they shipwreck, they get on, on Malta, uh, this island, and they're building a fire. Verse 3, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on Paul's hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead, but they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, and they changed their minds and said that he was a god. (laughs) So you got God's protective hand. It is interesting that God protected this, this man, Paul, from a viper. But yet, when he was in Jerusalem, he got beat to a pulp. Isn't that interesting? He, God said, I'm going to take you to Rome. But he said, in the process, you're going to be waiting four years for absolutely nothing but emperors to come in one after another so you can share with them. You're going to go to Rome, but you're going to have to go through a shipwreck first. <laughs> God's protection isn't always like we want it to be, is it? But even in the midst of this, with this viper fastened and it falls to the ground, God is letting his power be known, not only to Paul, but to the others. I've got hold of you, Paul. I've got hold of you. But if you're like Paul, you're like, well, God, why didn't you, uh, why didn't you keep me from getting a black eye? Why didn't you keep me from getting busted up by that riot? You see, God's protection his empowerment is about his dream not whether or not your face stays pretty not whether or not your bones stay intact not whether or not you endure a shipwreck or not but the encouragement in second timothy chapter four paul is in rome so his last letter he writes and he thinks back to some of this time second timothy chapter four verse 17 he says something interesting here to kind of let us know what he's thinking. He says in verse 16, In my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Here's one of the things that this is telling us. At every point, When you need it the most, God will encourage you when you need it the most to accomplish his dream. If you didn't need it, he wouldn't have given it to you. If he didn't give it to you, Philippians 4.19, you didn't need it. God was working it. How does that work in your life? I remember a number of years ago, about 12 Twelve years ago, my wife was um, facing with a pretty, very difficult surgery in front of her, uh, of, of the brain, and, and just, you know, I knew all the promises. I knew that God was going to be with me, and I knew that His grace was sufficient for me, and I knew this in my head, but here's how I prayed. God, I know these things, but my heart doesn't know it. Now, God, you know what I need. And I'm just praying. 
And God, I just, I just need a sense that you're here with me. I know what the Word of God says, but Lord, I just need a sense that you're here with me. But Lord, if you don't give it to me, then I will rest in the fact that I didn't need it, and I'll trust you with that. And that was my prayer. Went off that weekend. One of the, the, the ministers there was reading from Psalm 55. Now, you know, one of the ways that God speaks to you is sometimes he's giving you scripture and your heart just resonates with what's being said. The Bible is, Hebrews 4.12 is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and knowing and discerning the questions of heart. All right? So sometimes you'll read something and it'll just resonate with you. That's, that's letting you know, you're not just reading something. God's talking to you. I was reading Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Hide not yourself from my plea for mercy, which is what I was pleading for. Attend to me and answer me, and I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And this right here, because this is exactly what I was thinking, and I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, and I would fly away and be at rest. I was like, and that was like, when I heard that, I was like, God, that's my heart. I just want to fly away from this situation, and there's fears I don't want to deal with. And when I read that, I said, God, you know what I'm thinking. Let me listen carefully to what this text is saying. Because I was believing that I was reading it with not just reading, God was speaking to me. And as we read through, I came right toward the end, verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. And he will never permit the righteous to be moved. And I read that. And I said, God, thank you. I knew that you were here i knew that you're aware in my mind but now i know with my heart you're speaking to me and from that point was a turning point of how we dealt with that when things happened with canaan an accident happened a few years ago and the next morning as i was reading the scripture and as my daily reading and then reading psalm 27 i realized wait a second these are echoing the very thoughts and questions of my heart and i listened carefully and i knew god was saying i've turned my face toward you and heard your prayer listen there are going to be moments and times when you will need god's encouragement as you follow his dream of making disciples all nations it will take you down scary places from time to time but listen i'm going to share with you paul we can see in paul's example that god will give you the encouragement when you need it what does that mean like paul says you know sometimes i pray things and god didn't answer the prayers like i wanted to do but his grace is sufficient for me According to Romans chapter 16, Paul prayed that he could go to Jerusalem without being under the hand of the Jews. That didn't happen. He got under the hand of the Jews. But despite despite sinister power, God will encourage his dream workers. And this leads us to this third observation as we see this example of Paul. Through the sinners, through the sinners, God will perform his dream. 
through this. Notice what happens as Paul is living this. He is, he is being compelled, according to the book of Acts, to go to Rome. He says, this is my dream. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and then I'm going to go to Rome. And I want to share the gospel in the city of Rome and to encourage the church in the work there. That was his desire, and it, rec- and it was the same desire that God had. In fact, you see in this, uh, this word, in this shipwreck, when, when he's thinking, oh my goodness, all hope is lost, God sends an angel and says, Paul, it's okay. You're going to go to Rome. You're going to go to Rome. But look at how it happened. It happened through people who were so distorted with the view of Paul that they beat him to the pulp. It happens through accusations that come against Paul, people trying to to kill him, 40 people swearing that they will not eat or drink until they kill him, setting him to ambush, that his nephew happens to hear this, sends this to the commander, who is not a follower of God, but says, you know what, I've got some sense of obligation. I'm going to protect this man. And it goes from one person after another where he gets an opportunity to share the gospel with one Roman ruler after another Roman ruler, giving witness to centurions and rulers all along the way and sending a witness right there in this island where they get shipwrecked in Malta. Through the sinners, God will perform his dream because, you know, Lest we forget about it, Paul also is a sinner, right? I mean, who else is God going to choose? <laughs> I mean, you're looking here in this room, okay, who's not a sinner? All the options are sinners. So don't be surprised when God works his deliverance through people who don't know him, like some of these Roman rulers. Every once in a while, I come across people, and this is a common refrain, uh, and, and I, we tell ourselves this, ourselves this too. You know what? I'm not good enough to be a witness for the Lord. I don't have my act together enough to be able to share the gospel with anybody. I don't have my family in order for me to be able to share the gospel. My financial life is a wreck, and I can't share the gospel yet. Or this church, you know, the church isn't yet healthy for us to make a viable witness in the community. doesn't seem, as we read the Scripture, that God works that way. Every once in a while, people will say, you know, there's hypocrites in that church. I say, yeah, you're right. They are. And that's the beautiful thing. God works through hypocrites. Are you saying you're not a hypocrite? <laughs> God chooses the weak of this world. Are you one of them? I am certainly one of them. And listen, it's probably going to be through the greatest difficulties of your life that God will declare the greatest witness. I mean, think about it. If your family life was in order, your house life was in order, I mean, your house was beautiful, your kids were beautiful, your work was beautiful, you're beautiful, and someone says, I want that God. Let me ask you, do they want that God or do they want what you have? If that God gives me that beautiful life, I want the beautiful life, so whatever. 
But God isn't reproducing idolaters and covetous. And who can relate with that anyway? But when God, when people see a hurting person, a person who has a lot of reasons to mope and cry and sulk and complain and whine, when it's everybody, the watching world says, you know, they got reason. They got reason to be down. But in that life, they see instead someone worshiping, praising God, and having peace, strength, and joy. That can be relating to others. That, when that person comes to know the Lord through a witness like that, who's messed up, and everyone knows it, but yet to say, I have a Savior who's forgiven me of my sins, I can look and forward with hope. When someone sees that, they say, I want that God who makes life joy and peace when the physical outlook and all the doctors are saying, you know what, you don't have long to live. You're all going to die anyway. I'm going to die, right? God isn't promising that you won't die. He's promising a life that is greater than your death. And sometimes it can only be seen through someone who's terminal and knows it and says, I have a hope greater than that. Sometimes that power is seen with children that are wreck and emotionally messed up. When you're emotionally messed up and you say, you know what? Though he slay me still, I will trust him because he is greater than the sin that is in my life. Paul evidently didn't recognize the high priest because maybe his eyesight was still bad. I didn't recognize the high priest. He sounded like someone else. He was a marred man, messed up, but God was protecting a dream. And that is that one day you would know Jesus Christ and the beauty of who he is. And so he allowed Paul to continue on to go to Rome. And guess what happened to Rome? According to tradition, his head was taken off. But only after a couple years at least of sharing with people freely. Would Paul say that he was disappointed? God didn't come through. I mean, look, my head's got taken. No. Well, God didn't come through. He, he allowed me to waste four years in prison. I could have been out visiting the, the world. Eternal God isn't really too worried about our timetable. Your biological clock isn't dictating to God. No, Paul, in leading up to this, said, you know, I count all these things as rubbish compared to knowing Christ and Him crucified, sharing in the sufferings. So let me ask you this question. Is God's dream your dream? Because that's really the only question that comes down to it. Is God's dream your dream? If you're coming here thinking of some kind of life enhancement, this is going to be a nice supplement Well, God's going to disappoint you there. He's not interested in assisting you in your dreams. 
He's interested in being your God. And you know the greatest dream that can be known by following him as God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the example of Paul as we see him live the latter part of his life. Lord, how he faces opposition, how he faces uh, Roman power, how he deals with the storm. Father, because what's evident is not him, but you, and how he held on to you. So Father, we thank you that you have promised, you have put your name and reputation at stake in empowering your dream of making disciples of all nations. It's been your dream from the very beginning, and it will be your dream realized at the end.